Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to a doctor and lawyer walk into a podcast. The date is June 25th, 2023. I'm your North Texas attorney, Sean, and here is always with me is my good friend, Dr. Blom. Dr. Blom, how you doing? Good afternoon, everyone. Great to see your face, Sean Esquire. Great to be here. Excited about podcasting, life in general, everything. Yeah, my internet's working today, so we can actually try to record something. Welcome to the 21st century. It's nice. Nice to have you. Yeah. Update, you know, that, update that Commodore 64. I've, I've got to go back and find a DVD player to try to play some movies when there's no internet. I got a DVD player for Father's Day. It's great, and I'm super excited. I just don't have anywhere to put it because the so TV's I, I, like mounted on the wall. I had old videos from back in the day, like my, my buddy... <laughs> We were the idiots that had a camera, like the camcord, the hand, handy, <laughs> you went handy to that, cam thing. You went to that DW's DVD store on the side of I-45? We had the old old school tapes converted to DVD, and uh, they're ridiculous. You don't want to, you don't want, I don't recommend anyone watching videos of themselves uh, from high school days or maybe even college days. So it's, it's all the teenage awkward hilarity that you would, you would expect. But I have it now, and I can, uh, I can watch it on my DVD player. So excited. Fantastic. Well, um, I guess we can get into some follow up from last episode. We do have um, we do have some knickknacks on you put uh, a lot in here on the Mayacopas. Okay. Well, the other thing is that I want to remind everyone on the uh, last episode was Father's Day episode. Everyone, so uh, happy late Father's Day to anybody that missed that episode. And Father's Day being what it is, sometimes we were enjoying the day. Sean Esquire and I both. And so I wouldn't say there was as many beers as uh, the infamous episode seven, mm-hmm. but you know, there was, you know, it was a day of, of enjoyment. So shame on us for enjoying our day and shame on me. And sorry that, you know, sometimes with uh, some around like beer five or six, then there's uh, some repeating. And so uh, today actually we're right on like lunchtime ish. So full on sober, probably won't repeat myself too much and i'm gonna really work on the ums and the ahs sorry about all that so yeah great uh father's day episode great episode however we did have some some mea copas uh anything on your end um no not really sean's answer is always no everything everything's great on my end (laughs) nothing uh, a couple things. One, we we got heavy deep into uh, Watergate for many reasons. It's just a, it's a, I say a great moment in history. It's a, it's an interesting in terms of great moment in history. Uh, lots to cover and very entertaining, especially the G. Gordon Liddy part of it. But because of that, we missed a few things. And so I want to say, uh, ladies in space, we missed that. The fir- first woman in space ever was June 16, 1963. Valentina Tereshkova, Tereshkova, Tereshkova. Uh, Russian, yeah, Russian lady. She was 26 at the time. So she's the first lady in space ever. Go ladies, go ladies in space. The U.S. didn't catch up uh, ladies in space wise until 1983. The young lady named Sally Ride, famous uh, astronaut lady. And uh, she went up on June 18th, 1983 at the tender age of 32 and first lady spacewalk, uh, U.S. U.S. lady spacewalk was um, a year later, 1984, and those those were the Challenger missions. So Sally Good Ride year. was on the uh, Sally Ride was on the first Challenger mission. The second Challenger mission, they brought up uh, 
Catherine Sullivan, and then the third one was The Disaster. We also covered some legalese. We covered uh, habeas corpus and stare decisis. And what I was what I was getting at was the actual Latin translation. That it, I asked Sean Esquire, like, what does it mean? <laughs> I just meant I just meant trans translation for all the Latin nerds out there. Former Latin nerd, I'm recovering Latin nerd. Habeas corpus means you shall have the body. It means that you should you know, produce the body. So the judge must have the person that's charged with the crime brought into the courtroom to hear what he or she's being charged with. That makes sense. Starry decisis, uh, Sean Esquire, what is the Latin translation of starry decisis? Uh, I don't remember. To stand by things declared. Yeah, that's pretty much what I said. Yeah, that's what you said. I just wanted to know the like the Latin translation. And then so the full phrase is starry decisis et non quita movere, stand by the thing that's decided, and do not disturb the calm. So sort of written in stone regarding our judicial system, which I don't fully agree with. Amendments exist for a reason. And we gave the example of uh, Roe v. Wade. Um, so I don't know. I, I'm i not in love with the idea of the stare decisis. Mm. Do you think like I... with, it's written in stone that we got to we gotta stand by it forever and ever? Or like that kind of brevet, that kind of weight. Not forever and ever, but I, if you read, um, they, they use it all the time in Supreme court opinions because they're basing their decisions off prior rulings, which makes sense because you want to kind of follow what's been done unless things need changed. Um, which I think is a good thing. And then this is the other thing they reference. If, that if Congress wanted something changed about it, then it's Congress's responsibility to do it. So the court's kind of going to follow what they've been doing, um, which they could go, you know, Congress could go back and put in a federal law protecting right to abortion if they wanted to. But Congress and legislation in general, they just, they drag their feet on, for example, exactly. gay, gay, gay marriage, for example. They were like, we don't want to touch that political time bomb. We're going to let the courts deal with it. And so they just kind of punted and punted. And the Supreme Court was like, hey, yeah, gays can get married. People can get married. Right. Because it was the right decision. I mean, you can interpret it different ways. And they said, it's time now to interpret this in a way that protects gay rights. But in reality, the best thing to do would be, hey, Congress, do your job and pass a bill protecting this right. Uh, so that we don't have to interpret what is marriage. Exactly. Yeah. So the legis legislators didn't do their jobs. And so the Supreme Court stepped in on that example and said, well, we'll do your job for you. And then that was right. it. Right. So that might not always work out that Congress dragged its feet on a law that needs to be passed. And they say, well, maybe we'll let these nine people decide the fate of of everyone in the United States millions of Americans. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was one thing I meant to say when you, when you mentioned started decisis on the last one is that there was a lot of, a lot of rhetoric regarding story decisis uh, during COVID because you would have one judge that decided for like an entire County or whatever, whether businesses were going to stay open or not. And so right. there was definitely not story decisis during COVID because it was like week to week, especially after about a year of COVID or so year and a half after I'd say after Delta, people were really, really pushing like, hey, all the restaurants have gone out of business. And so um, there was a lot of legal wrangling 
throughout that whole time. And I am curious to see what are, what are the story decisis is this is from that <laughs> from the COVID era that they're going to come back. They're going to come back five for COVID 2.0 or whatever is coming down the pike. Then they'll say, oh, well, you know, we have this precedence during COVID and we shut down all these restaurants and all these people lost their jobs and whatever else. So, right. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like one judge deciding the fate of thousands of people or thousands and thousands of people or nine judges deciding legislation for 330 million people. Yeah. That's just, that's just me. What's this Uh, next thing? Orange juice conspiracy. Orange juice conspiracy. Good gravy. Be careful with orange juice, everyone. It'll it'll get (laughs) you. So we talked about the OJ murder uh, and I did, I did use the phrase OJ murder multiple times because I don't like when people get away with murder. So be mad at me. Then, then uh, also uh, we kind of mentioned, uh, I hope they <laughs> hope his kids ignore him for father's day <laughs> since he, he murdered the mom. Uh, probably no, no fruit basket for him that, you know, we, we enjoy conspiracy theories. We don't believe all of them. I like to hear about Big, Bigfoot. I don't think he's going to go cruising down main street anytime soon. Uh, but the in 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 the uh, spirit of fairness, the O.J. Simpson conspiracy is that well, I say the the one like the main one that I saw was that his son did it. And we had said, oh, they need to be LAPD needs to be looking for the quote unquote real murderer. Uh, anyway, I'm I'm throwing that out there just because we like conspiracies and I don't want anybody to be like, oh, you guys didn't didn't cover the conspiracy for OJ, but you cover the conspiracy for Watergate. And I'm like, all right, everybody, there, there it is, there it is. That's, <laughs> that's our one listener up there in Kansas that's been downloading all the episodes. Someone, it's one person waiting. from last from the last episode was like, I hope that they, yes, they mentioned the sun did it. <laughs> so, LAPD is like assembling the SWAT team right now. Like, we gotta get them, get OJ's kid. <laughs> uh, I mentioned the word gate. And in doctor brain, like sometimes when someone says temperature, you think like a temp- like, oh, the patient has a temperature. They have a fever it's synonymous with a problem. Right. So when people, persons that we had said, we, we try to do like the joke of the gates of the real estate gate and the Clinton gate and the, everything had come from Watergate. Although this new one, Deflate uh, gate. well, ocean gate foreshadowing. Uh, mm. so there's that. Yeah, that's right. I know stuff. Uh, <laughs> So when I said gate, I, I was thinking like an abnormal gate, but G-A-I-T, that's just the way someone walks. That's a, how they walk, yeah. But if the someone gate. says to me gate, I'm assuming that they're talking about a problem, like shuffling gate you'll see in Parkinson's, things like that. So anyway, that was my that was my thing on gate. I, I realized the word gate is just a normal walking pattern, but uh, for a doctor brain, like temperature should be normal temperature. Anyway. Uh, Operation Gemstone, that was the name of Watergate. I think I called it the Gemstone Plan, not Gemstone Plan, Operation Gemstone. Also, shout out, shout out to Righteous Gemstones, absolutely. And more fo- foreshadowing, way to go, bravo to you, sir. Uh, yeah, I got uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but we'll definitely want to get into the, the new, uh, the new, the real gemstones, the Righteous yes. Gemstones. And oh, I mentioned Timothy Leary. I think I quoted him wrong. He's the famous uh, hippie LSD professor guy, and his quote was "Turn on, tune in, and drop out, uh, drop out of college, drop out of society." And um, the reason why he'd come up during Watergate was because I think Liddy was involved with getting him arrested or getting charges brought up on him. And then years and years later, once Liddy had served his term, and also Liddy did like a hundred days of solitary confinement and god knows what else anyway 
after the fact, when Liddy got out of jail and everything, he went on the speaking circuit. He did all these things. And one of his speaking tours was with Timothy Leary. So it was this like very, very, very right wing convicted felon, Liddy, crazy guy, crazy, crazy, crazy guy. And then uh, Timothy Leary, obviously very left wing hippie LSD guy. Uh, and I encourage people to try to listen to those, those, uh, speech, those, uh, lectures or whatever. It's, um, hilarious. Um, very, very out of left field, all of that. An Esquire had mentioned not last episode, but at the end of the previous episode, he, he just got the update on the death of Ted Kaczynski. And, mm. uh, like literally you had, you had breaking news at the end breaking. of, yeah. But what wasn't what wasn't covered was that Ted Kaczynski committed suicide and I think he hung himself and he had in stage, I think prostate cancer, but anyway, he had in stage cancer and then he, he died by suicide is the official story. Maybe the same guy, the monster that killed Epstein went around killing him. There's apparently a murderer in the U S jail systems that, uh, is cannot be, cannot be seen on camera. He, he's just that good. He goes around killing, uh, killing, uh, felons. And also, oh, there's a famous quote from Nixon <clears throat> that I feel that uh, we needed to mention. Oh, I needed to mention. I didn't mention it. Nixon said during the Watergate time or leading up to the Watergate time, if the president does it, it's not illegal. So <laughs> that's the kind of bullshit that the country was dealing with at the time. Finally, and this is a real big mea culpa on my part. Um, so we had joked about, I mean, everyone jokes about like Watergate, like, oh, they got caught because of um, Forrest Gump. You've seen the movie Forrest Gump. He sees the lights at the Watergate Hotel and he calls the cops and the cops come in. And so we kind of joked about that. Maybe the hero for all of Watergate. I mean, there's a number of, of good guys involved in, in Watergate to, to bring down the Nixon administration was a young man named Frank Willis. Frank Willis was a security guard at the time. Frank Wills. Frank Wills. Was it Wills, Wills. or Willis? wills i'm messing this up i can't read my doctor handwriting sometimes uh so double apology double mea copa on uh frank wills security guard uh at the time and so he's making his rounds and this is uh this is the third attempt of the break-in right for watergate <laughs> he sees the duct tape on the door for a back door going from the parking lot into the building he says oh that probably doesn't go there he takes the duct tape off so the door will lock then he makes his rounds again and uh, duct tape, there's duct tape back. There it is. So then he called the cops. And then, you know, the guys, the plumbers, they got caught hiding behind desks, giggling. They had their suits on. And then because of Bernard's address book, then that's what led them back to White House and everything else that we know after that. But none of that would have happened. There would, there would have been zero Watergate, zero bringing down of Nixon, or at least via Watergate, uh, without Frank Wills. So shout out. Um, cheers to Frank Wills. Unfortunately, died at the young age of 52 from a brain tumor. Dang. And, oh, the, uh, the other great thing is, I, I didn't know this. So the movie for Watergate, I say the movie, probably like the movie for Watergate, is All the President's Men. Robert, what's that guy's name? Robert Redford and Dustin Hoffman. So those are the Washington Post guys. And the security guard in All the President's Men is the actual Frank Wills, the guy that brought us Watergate. That's the guy in the movie. That's Frank Wills. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. I think that covers follow-up. Let's those get my, into it. Those are my follow-up. There it is. Yes. Beer time.
All right, I've got I've got a good one going on. What's uh what's going on on your end? Uh, let me grab my bottle here. I am having a Duvel Belgian Strong Blonde. It's okay. Eight and a half percent. It's pretty like light in color, uh, but but very good. Uh, not not too hoppy. Um, I don't know what it pairs well with, but I checked their website. They didn't have anything. It says that... <laughs> Figure it out du- yourself. Duvel obtains its typical bitterness by adding various varieties of aromatic Slovenian and Czech hops. Thanks to the addition of extra sugars and yeast, the beer ferments again in the bottle uh, that occurs in a warm cellar and takes two additional weeks. Then the beer is moved to cold cellars where it continues to mature and stabilize for another six weeks. This extra long maturation period is unique and contributes to the refined flavor and pure taste of Duvel. And apparently does, it fo- like- does it follow the Germany purity laws of 1485? I can't remember what the, what the year was on that. It, it did not say on the website if they follow the German purity law, but I assume they have to, right? That's the law. Uh, yeah, otherwise you go to you go to beer you go jail to beer jail mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the best jail ever you don't want to stay you know stray away from the beer law and get caught in a, a beer gate and then have to you know alter your records to say that you followed the law solid solitary refinement and uh in beer gate and, and you're just uh like listening to country music it's really <laughs> really sad uh what are you drinking I've got myself the Celebrator. This is a uh, this is a bottom fermented dark double double bock beer. Uh, alcohol content six point seven, but the original wort W O R T uh, eighteen point five degrees uh, Celsius. And uh, if you're curious, then the correct answer is yes. This is the Silver Award winner of 2010, the German style Doppen, Doppenbach, and um, yeah, multiple awards. It is dark. It is a. It is definitely a dark beer. And uh, where is it from? It is. Uh, it is a German beer. Okay. And the uh, brewery is a uh, Eyinger, A Y I N G E R. I'm going to try to. Uh, not butcher all of the um all of the uh, pronunciation here I'm there. yeah <laughs> i'm sure there's a lot of in there this is a a dominant multi-taste and this beer its origins are in a monk's recipe so you know it's good so monks had, had come up with it and yeah uh, because they're known for being alcoholics hardiness the the phrase hardiness comes uh comes to mind the pope of beers is this guy that we got to get this guy conrad seidel s-e-i-d-l conrad seidel if you're out there please reach out to us we would love to have you on the show because he describes this as almost black with a very slight red tone sensational Ooh. festive festive foam i don't know how your foam <laughs> your foam is Sean Esquire. <laughs> mine is festive so humble brag festive foam <laughs> and truly extraordinary fragrance uh, so yeah, this is a, a little stoutier, a little heavier than, um, my, my normal beers, 
I would I would take it with a probably a steak or a burger, and maybe not a salad. It is um, it kind of smells a little bit like coffee, but maybe because I just I went today directly from coffee mode into beer mode, so maybe that's what's going on with my palate. Do you have it in a glass? Yeah, I have it in a glass. Yeah. How how dark is it? Is it like dark dark? It's uh, oh. let's see here. You see that? Yeah, I do. It's like a shiner. It is like no. This is it's. It's a darker than shiner. Dark, darker than shiner for sure. And um, sorry, I think I said six point seven percent alcohol. What's yours? Eight and a half. Ooh, oh boy. <laughs> I am. Uh, I, I'm really digging this. Uh, like getting the beers that are heavier on the alcohol content, in the interest yeah. of not having twelve beers, and you just yeah. have one or two heavy duty ones, and you're like. I'm a responsible adult. <laughs> and I like trying something new every week. Uh, yeah. You're expand keep this going. your horizons. I didn't get, I didn't get a, a Belgian beer. I got this, uh, this German, this German one. It's gotta be German. I hope that I didn't mess that out. So I apologize again to the Belgian folk. I promise I'm, I'm hitting the local, uh, hitting all the local beer places. I, you know what, Sean Esquire, we're just going to have to just start like ordering the real deal stuff. And, um, what was the other one? Eventually, we're gonna have to find a Nigerian beer because we're getting more and more Nigerian fans. And oh, uh, Latvia, Latvia. Yeah, we have Latvia fans, so we have a lot to uh, we have a lot to research. And sure. somebody that lives on a lake in Kansas that gets mm-hmm. pinged on our RSS. So some guys just living on a lake with Wi-Fi. I think we should just show up out there with our gear. And you're like, hey, we feel like you're. Thank you for being a dedicated listener, and uh, we're we're here to. We want to have an episode with you. Find out what's going on with this guy. He's like a crazy scientist, or he's just like a. He's probably like off the grid ex Navy SEAL dude. You know, he right. just does like a. He does sit ups in the snow. He's just a like a doomsday prepper guy. It's where our CIA officers at. He's like, I got him. A couple times a year, the president flies out there on the chopper, and he's like. Johnson, you're the only one that can do this job. You know, he's, he's that guy. That's like, oh, like MacGruber. <laughs> yes, that's my, that's one of my goals in life is that the, uh, the United States president chopper will land on my, on my backyard and I'll be like, uh, oh, we need you. No, no one in the world can do this. Like we need you. To, we need you to save the world again. I'm like, oh, all right, guys, come on. Let's, let's, let's do it. I guess. <laughs> let's. You get to pick your own team. All right. Yes. Is Sanchez still alive? Uh, so um, yeah, we got we got to figure out what's going on with that that poor guy out in the middle of nowhere. But thank you, thank you, thank you for listening, everyone. And um, yeah, your your Duvel is heavy, heavy, regular heavy. It's uh, yeah, that's regular heavy. Not, not nothing crazy. It's not like the Maritsu. I think because it's a lighter beer. You know, darker beers. I feel like you get that. It's like, oh, I just ate a whole meal of Mexican food and I don't want to move. But I'm not getting that with this. Yeah, mine's pretty heavy. I I, I wouldn't I wouldn't plow through a six pack of these for sure. Um, but uh a little a little on the yeastier side than uh than most of the beers I drink. And and good news on my end, not nothing fruity that I can ascertain. Uh, yeah, I know one, you like some fruity stuff sometimes. The one thing I would like to say to the Belgians and Germans is um, you should at least package 
uh, your beers in six packs, but keep the same price point. I'd like two go. more beers for the same price as four. <laughs> I'd like I'd like two more beers, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, no, they're not they're not messing around. They're like, why are there only four beers here? Like, because of ten percent, man. Come on, you're getting greedy. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Okay, well, can you so, can you make it a six pack? Just make it. Just throw two more in there. What's what's the problem? You're not running out of beers, Germany. Just put another <laughs> two in there. Uh, I'm going to write my Belgian congressmen and women over there and ask that a new beer packaging law be put into place. Mine says on the label, it says strong beer. That's how I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Germans. That's how that's how I hear it in my head. But also on my label, uh, I'm going to do what the kids call flexing. I've got the I've got the I've got the seal of approval from the Germany purity law of 1512. Nope, 15, 15, 16, I'm sorry. Wait, it's on your bottle? It is on the bottle, yeah. Oh, man, I mean, if you you pass that test, you got to put that on the bottle, man. That is a feather in your cap. That is a feather in your beer cap that you have abided by the the, uh, holy grail of the German purity laws. (laughs) I feel like Germans should immediately be like, it's about beer, everyone. It's just about beer. Not about people at all. <laughs> Every time I say it, just like, just in like a regular office conversation, you guys ever heard of the uh, Germany purity law? And then you're fired, just immediately fired. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I got I got the seal of approval here on the side. Germany pur- purity law fifteen sixteen, product of Alla Magne, which I think is I think that means Germany. Oh, okay. So, uh, good. I I don't think I would get it, you know, year round. I'll get it here and there. Uh, it's a, like I said, a little a little heavier than uh, what I normally drink. Uh, I like ambers. And again, apologies to Belgium folk. Gonna find real deal Belgium Belgium beers ASAP. We keep saying that. I promise we're gonna get to it. Yeah, we need one of our fans to just ship us some. We'll have to get yeah. a PO box. Yeah, reach out to us, everybody. Yeah, we 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 would love to have you. Love to have you on. Come talk to us about beer. Any any uh, super beer nerds can explain to us all the different hops and everything. We'd like to hear about all, all of that. Yeah, we so, need to get like a social media page. We are working on. Yeah, we're working on more of a more of a twenty uh, first century uh, presence. Uh, Sean Esquire just got Wi Fi, so we're gonna be uh, <laughs> getting gonna be getting on board with that a lot. So yeah, we we are working on big big things on our end regarding guest speakers and fireworks monster trucks all the usual that you come to expect from two guys drinking beer that's right all right you want to take a quick break quick break and then we're back to discuss big big things big events happening this week everyone coming right back and we are back with a doctor and a lawyer walking to a podcast dr blom it's time to cover this week in history how do I know? Oh, that's how I know. Yes. I'm going to do the short version, maybe. Good deal. Oh, going to do the long version. <laughs> I still love it. I don't care who says how cheesy it is. I love it. And bravo to Sean Esquire for bringing us awesome Awesome. I promise everyone, I don't think we're going to get into 
like a 1920s car horn. We don't want to be the sound effect guys. We just have, go on. We have two. We have a beer, a beer can, and we have we have our horns for. for <laughs> just, that's it. Yeah, we're not. That's it. We're not overdoing it. So um, we're going to start out the day before or the day after our last podcast. It was June 19th, also known as Juneteenth. Um, for those who don't know, it's a federal holiday in the United States commemorating the emancipation of enslaved African Americans. It's celebrated on the anniversary of the order by Major General Gordon Granger, the Triple G, proclaiming freedom for enslaved people in Texas on June 19th, 1865. Um, so this was a day that federal troops arrived in Galveston, Texas, to take control uh, of the state and ensure that all enslaved people be freed. The troops arrived, or sorry, the troops arrival came a full two and a half years after the signing of the Emancipation Proclamation. Oh my God. So, so yeah, they were technically freed, but we're not nope. told no they one, were free. They, they, lost the, they lost the memo in the mail. So Confederate General Robert E. Lee had surrendered at, a, I'm always going to butcher this, Appomattox Courthouse. Ap Appomattox? Ap Appomattox. That's probably uh, Courthouse two months earlier in Virginia, but slavery had remained relatively unaffected in Texas until the Triple G, General Gordon Granger, stood on Texas soil and read out General Order Number 3 that the people of Texas are informed that in accordance with a proclamation from the executive of the U.S., all slaves are free. So after the war came to a close in the spring of 65, uh, he came here. There were basically 250,000, a quarter million enslaved people. Um, and it notes, it, although emancipation didn't happen overnight for everyone, in some cases, enslavers withheld the information from the slaves until after the harvest season. So they they knew it was coming and they refused to to free people. I'm pretty sure that a lot of people that word of the Emancipation Proclamation had happened, that people knew. I mean, they were getting, I don't think they had, they didn't have like wire services back then, but they had these, you know, they had railroads and they were running letters and stuff. So it wasn't something that was needed to be, I say needed. There was no reason for it to be two and a half years that they waited that long. They were obviously, most of them were like, oh, didn't happen, out of sight, out of mind. Right. There probably wasn't any type of like criminal offense uh, for continuing to enslave them, but maybe they wouldn't have continued to do it. Yeah, that's probably part of it. They they just thought, oh, well, that's some bullshit that's happening in D.C. That doesn't really affect us. Right. <laughs> that's, hor that's horrible. Uh, two, two, and so, a, two and a half years. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So the first um, the first Juneteenth was the one year anniversary from when the general came down here to Texas. And then this technically, this didn't even become a federal holiday until two years ago, 2021. Yeah. That's also crazy. So I'm pretty sure that, but we've had it as a state holiday. Cause I remember as, as a kid, um, there was, you know, multiple parades and there was, there were things going on around town, multiple towns yeah. whenever I was a kid. <clears throat> Yeah, because I think they kind of associate it with Texas since it really didn't happen until here in Galveston. That so, I mean, you know, it's just like the the end of the Civil War was the same thing, and they had 
they had the piece of paper that said, Hey, this is the end. And then they had to wait, you know, another year or whatever. There were still battles and skirmishes that were, that were ongoing that people were like, Hey man, the war is over. And like, no, 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 no. That's just some, some BS from DC or whatever. <laughs> just kept, <laughs> kept going and kept going. So Thank God. Thank uh, God bless you, Internet, for many reasons, but also so that people don't have to remain enslaved for two and a half years after the fact. Right. That's horrible. So happy Juneteenth, everyone. And thank you to the Biden administration for making it a federal holiday. Uh, I don't I don't think I knew that. I think growing up as a kid, I always just assumed it was a national thing. Yeah, apparently not. Because we grew up in Texas. So, right. Um, yeah, I'm glad that it's, uh, that it's federal and shame on the U S for waiting so long. And, and, uh, I'm glad we have it now. Absolutely. Um, Dr. Blum, I'm going to have to take a break and then we will follow up here with some movie news in history. I'm excited about the, the movie news. And so, uh, I have a concert tonight. I'm very excited about, I'm going to go see the Pixies. And so hopefully I'll have some updates uh, on that as well. Awesome. Good deal. Okay, everyone, we'll we'll, we'll be back. And we are back, Dr. Blom. It is now time for, well, this week in history, but this week in history in movies. Okay. No, that counts. Movies are relevant. You've got some some big things here. The first one, Jowls. (laughs) Jowls. Oh my God! Please make a movie called Jowls. Uh, <laughs> it's about the, a dentist. It's about someone past their prime. It used <laughs> to have real chiseled features, and then uh, you know those jowls—they'll—they'll they'll get you. So we're in the season of summer blockbusters. Love summer blockbusters. I will lament one point that uh, when I was a kid, summer blockbusters were like a thing, and mm-hmm. I feel like now I think maybe this is what the world is now in Hollywood now is, is less is more. So you don't get like 15 summer blockbusters anymore. Like we did when we were kids. It seemed like when we were kids, there was like a blockbuster, like every couple of weeks. Yeah. During the summertime. This one's from, uh, before my time, this is June 20th, 1975, not jowls jaws. Uh, again, anyone that makes a movie about jowls, you're going to scare the hell out of all the superficial Hollywood people. They're like, no, they should keep the same music though. I think so. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, yeah, Jaws 1975 scared the heck out of the entire world. Uh, in um, As a direct result of this movie, shark attacks and, uh, well, I'm sorry, people attacking sharks, people killing sharks. <laughs> shark attacks increased. <laughs> I'm going to guess like the reports of shark attacks. People were like, oh, I got bit by a shark. And it was, you know, like a jellyfish or, or like some seaweed just grazed someone's leg. But yeah, mm-hmm. we have, we have jaws to thank uh june 20 1975 jaws to thank i don't know about other people a lot of times if i get in the ocean and anything touches me at all like you know like i said like a little seaweed touches like nah ah and then that that (laughs) shark yeah anything that touches me in the ocean i'm completely convinced it's a 30 foot great white Mm. got some some jaws fun facts is uh directed was directed by steven spielberg who was coming off a just a huge Hollywood smash called the Sugarland Express? Oh. John Esquire, are you familiar with that one? I am not. No, I don't think anyone is. I don't know that one either. So that's how it's. I mean, so it's crazy it's about a train. Uh, 
Maybe. I don't know. I feel it sounds like, like a train movie. I think it's like a roller skating, singing, like Xanadu thing. It's like a that, musical. Right. Sugarland Express. It sounds to me like there might be some roller skating and body glitter involved. Uh, definitely unitards. Either way. Yeah. So I don't think anyone knows Sugarland Express. I should maybe put it on my check it out list. But so that's what Steven Spielberg was coming from. And one of the good things on Sugarland Express, I'm, I, I can't really comment on the rest of it, but, you know, he teamed up with John Williams and John Williams is maybe one of the best movie music composers ever in the history of uh, music for movies. I'm going to I'm going to say him and Danny Elfman, which is kind of getting ahead of myself on some other movies. Uh, they're they're tied because they're they're different genres. They're, they have like completely different approaches. But my two favorite music movie composers, uh, John Williams and Danny Elfman. So uh, John Williams had teamed up with Spielberg on Jaws. Jaws is kind of famous for a number of things, but also it had huge production delays, went over budget, it went way over its um, over its uh, production time, everything like that. The, it was became such a joke. The robot, the robot shark, had a nickname. The robot shark's name. Well, so there was three robot sharks, and uh, two of them were like for shy, side shots. One of them was for the entire shark multiple multiple problems with the robot shark it wasn't really made for salt water so they put it in salt water and it like sank to the bottom and the crew's like oh shit <laughs> that thing that thing costs over 150k for one robot and it's 1975 money uh they had so spielberg nicknamed the robot shark bruce after his lawyer i think maybe i think that's like a high five from him to his lawyer like yeah man you're you're a robot you're a shark. shark yeah i don't know you're but <laughs> But you're a piece of shit robot shark that doesn't really work in the movies. And so the production crew, um, not only did they, they called Jaws, they called it Flaws because of all the amount of problems they had. Yeah. So Spielberg had called the robot sharks, uh, sharks plural, Bruce. Uh, The crew called the robot sharks the great white turds. That's how (laughs) many problems they had with the robot sharks. Uh, John Williams, for his part in, in Jaws, he got best original music score he won a bunch of uh, a bunch of awards you really can't have a movie like that without you know you think jaws you think you think the score right because uh, it's just two notes so when john williams showed it showed it to spielberg he's like here's the, the really scary shark music Dun, <laughs> huh it's two notes man spielberg was like what is this <laughs> he thought he literally thought it was a joke he's like it's two notes john come on you gotta got to do more than two. We're paying you a lot of money. You should probably do more than two notes. Nope. It totally worked. They did a lot of things uh, in Jaws, like point of view shots. And this really paved the way for a lot of horror movies going forward. Um, like if you look at the, the Halloween movies in the 80s, they started doing that sort of point of view attack from uh, from Michael Myers, Michael Myers Halloween. And a lot of the Jaws is kind of this, this old tried true story. I like any story that where it's like problem equals opportunity. So they had all these problems with production and they had this and they had that. And they said, okay, well it's not going to work doing these shots with the shark. Like the shark doesn't even pop up until like the movie's like three fourths of the way done or at least half of the movie. The, the shark itself in the entire movie has four minutes, four minutes of the movie has the robot shark in it. A movie about shark about like monster crazy shark. So, uh, so yeah, they did a Hitchcock thing where it's like Hitchcock had this whole thing about 
it's not what you see, it's what you don't see. And so they, they did a lot of that and uh, that worked out great. Famous actress, Lee Fierro, she's the, uh, she's the mom that lost her kid to Jaws. So she, there's a scene where she slaps Roy Schneider. And for whatever reason, I don't know if Steven Spielberg director was like having a bad day or whatever. He just didn't like, she couldn't get it right or whatever. So she ended up slapping him 17 times on that. So when you see the movie, his face is already red. It's because he's already been slapped like 15, 16 times. It's a total of 17 times that she, uh, she slapped him. Um, Robert, uh, the, uh, sorry, George Lucas swung by the set and, uh, he stuck his head in the crappy shark and the crappy robot shark. He got stuck and they had to get like a <laughs> bunch of crew. He's just goofing around. He's like, Oh, is this your dumb robot shark? Um, there was the, uh, there's the famous line about, uh, what's the famous line for jaws? What's the famous line from jowls from jaws. I mean, just them yelling shark. Okay. I mean, that's good. Also, we're going to need a bigger boat. Mm. Do, do you not know the movie Jaws? What's wrong with you? Yeah, I even I saw it like two weeks ago, too. Okay. But I mean, I so, was catching at bits and pieces here because I was like, at one point they loaded the uh, like the scuba tank on there. He's like, this is right. going to work. This explosive. And I was like, oh, foreshadowing. There you go. Yeah, that's okay. You're you're right on the money. So, uh, and then I, uh, I, they were all drunk and singing in the galley of the ship when the shark rams into it. Yeah, it was like this uh, this beat. The movie took a beat, classic Spielberg, and they're like having fun and everything and bonding. And then, oh no, here's the here's the monster of the monster movie. Mm-hmm. So, the famous line of the movie, Sean Esquire, and anyone else that's not uh, well versed with uh, with Jaws is, we're going to need a bigger boat. So. Okay. It was a it was a like a throwaway one liner from Rob Schneider from Rob uh, Roy Rob Schneider. <laughs> Roy Schneider, um, but the reason he said it was because the crew had been saying it so much throughout the production of it that there was uh. like they had problems with the robot sharks and they had problems with this and they had problems with that and then uh, and they just kept they kept saying we need a we're going to need a bigger boat so he said it during a camera roll. Okay. And, uh, and it, and it made its way into film history forever. Uh, let's see where else. Oh, there's a scene where you see the shark, uh, like chews up the tank mm-hmm. and the tank, like he gets, that's a real shark. They were not supposedly, I don't know if I believe the story. That's a real shark. They weren't planning on that. And then it happened and they were like, well, let's just leave it in the movie. I, I don't know if I'm buying that one. Yeah. They're just out filming and the shark comes up. Well, yeah, because they got to chum the water and stuff. So, but I don't think you know you don't really need to chum the water for uh, for a robot sharks. So, exactly. That's the that's the story, and they're sticking to it. I don't know if I if I believe that one. And then there's other things like Richard Dreyfus and Robert Shaw. So Robert Shaw is Quint. He's like the old the old shark hunter. Oh, the, All, the sea captain. Yeah, that guy. Oh no, he nailed he nailed that role. And all of it. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Robert Shaw was quite a quite a boozer. He was boozing a lot in his life, uh, both at work and not at work. He's <laughs> a he's a method actor. He's he likes well, to get yeah. in get yeah, in character. So that famous scene you're talking about, where they're they're goofing off in the in the galley. Is it yeah. the galley? The galley. Yeah the the cabin the uh, the breakfast nook of the <laughs> of, of the, the ship. ship? 
Yeah. So he's drinking real whiskey when he's telling that story about the USS Indianapolis. So and then also he wrote that whole that whole part there about the uh, <laughs> he's you know, like, I'm going to drink three shots here. I'm going to say this line. I'm going to drink two more shots and then they're not say a this line. And then I'm going to drink four more shots. I'm going to keep it. I'm going to keep it going. So uh, I can't remember the exact story. He's like a hundred, a hundred and fifty-five men went into the sea that day, and only four came out. Him being one of them. But anyway, so that whole story. Uh, yes, he's drinking during it on on camp, drinking it, <laughs> drinking on the job, and then uh, so and he wrote that whole thing also. So I think the next day he told Spielberg, he's like, hey, hey, hey. Um, I don't really remember yesterday <laughs> on the job, so let's do it again, and I'll do it sober. So when you when you watch that, you can tell you can very very clearly tell between uh, him at Robert Shaw actually being drunk and actually not being drunk because his eyes are all <laughs> bloodshot and watery, <laughs> and then and then like the next you know the next two seconds, and then it's uh he, he's sober. He's like, I can do it, boss. I'm gonna get it done. So. Uh, yeah. Also, famously, Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw did not get along. Hey, let's relax here. Dog <laughs> decided to freak out because he's such a Jaws fan. Sorry about that. We'll we edit all that out. <laughs> we'll get the dog out. No squeaker toy this time. That's nice of you. Robert, uh, Richard Dreyfuss and Robert Shaw were not friends. They did not get along in the uh, in the shooting of the movie or otherwise. For whatever reason, that Robert Shaw, I think at one point he told Richard Dreyfus directly. He goes, "Well, if Hollywood needs a short Jewish actor, I guess they know where to go to get medium talent or something, something like that." So, <laughs> Robert Shaw, quite, quite the boozeman. Jaws was the first movie ever to make more than a hundred million, hundred million dollars U.S. It was good, and I think it ended up grossing over four hundred and seventy million. So that's a, how much a did it huge, cost them to make it? Do you know something like nine million in nineteen seventy-five oh, so money? Pretty good return on investment there. It's a great return on investments. That was this was a time you know this is before Star Wars, so this was a uh, not a lot of movies going in for nine million back then. So the, you know their production cost was I don't know nine million, ten million, something like that. But yeah, they did get a return of <laughs> from ten million to four hundred and seventy million. So I'll that's take pretty that. good. Yeah, Steven Spielberg rocketed into fame, and then I'm going to assume it was the success of Jaws that he could he could go to the studios and say, "Hey, I'm going to do this movie in space, uh, space people," and they were like, "Okay, well, you you struck gold Jaws wise. Let's see what you let's see what you can do with the space movie, kid." That's what they probably said. Oh wait, he was a space movie guy too. <laughs> You're the worst. <laughs> You're fired. <laughs> Yeah, he he did he did a handful of uh, I thought space he just movies. did the Jurassic Park series. Obscure. He did some obscure space movies back in the seventies and eighties. Kind of, you know, not not as well known as Sugarland Express, but they're up there. Okay. So that is our that is our Jaws, uh, June 20th, 1975. Not Jowls, uh, awesome classic. And if you have a projector. And you have a pool, you go out in the backyard with the kids and watch it while you're in the pool. I know that there is this, um, I think it's a every summer event that they do down in the San Marcos area. People float the river or whatever. Mm-hmm. 
and they put up a big movie screen out there and everybody watches it in inner tubes. They sit in their inner tubes and uh, drink beer, watch the watch Jaws. That's kind of that's kind of terrifying. Sounds like a good time. So that's movie number one. Uh, movie number two for uh, this week in history, 1989 Batman. Ooh, classic. Yeah. The yeah, movie, the, though, the series Batman. was long before that. Series was long before that. Yeah, there was a successful series in the late 60s into the 70s. I'm not an expert on the series other than the campiness. Well, number one, the campiness factor of that. And then, uh, of course, Adam West really nailed the original on-screen Batman, Adam West. I don't know if there was one before him. But I like the 1989 one for a lot of reasons. Uh, one of them is Tim Burton. Again, uh, one of my uh, favorite directors and Tim, just like Steven Spielberg and John Williams got together, made amazing movies and made amazing movie scores. That's a legendary team. The other uh, the other legendary team is Danny Elfman and um, and um, Tim Burton. So Tim Burton did a great job on 1989 Batman. They had a lot of uh, of people to choose from, obviously. I don't know if you know this or not. One of the possible Batmans for 1989 was Bill Murray. One of them was Pierce Brosnan, 007 Pierce. I'm glad they Wait, didn't they were gonna have, They were going to have Bill Murray play Batman? They So they didn't know in the beginning whether what direction they were going to go on the movie because the original, I say the original, the Adam West Batman was, uh, was kind of campy and fun and not like dark Ooh. and scary. So they didn't exactly know. So they thought in the beginning... Well, maybe we'll go with Bill Murray and we'll go like in a more like a comedy campy kind of direction like we did with Adam West. But fortunately, they decided against that. I think William Defoe was also in the running, one of the possible Batman for that time. That would have been weird. They finally see landed Christopher Walken as Christopher Batman. Walken as a Batman, maybe like an older Batman, like a grizzled, yeah. you know, seen too much, done, done too much kind of on his, you know, like his last week on the job. I think that one. Where did I um, park the Batmobile? It's he's getting called into HR like every day at that point. For, <laughs> uh, they did land on Michael Keaton, the great, the great Michael Keaton, who absolutely nailed it. When they made the announcement of, oh yeah, Michael Keaton, he's going to be our 1989 Batman. People were pissed. People were super pissed. I don't know if you know this or not. Comic book nerds, nerds in general, are pretty passionate about you know who what production companies the actors they choose the dedication to source material all of those things are going to be on the radar so anyway in the beginning they said oh we're gonna go with michael keaton who before batman is known for what do you know him for before batman i know him for like um, one thing wasn't he in the other guys the other guys oh yeah i mean <laughs> So that's happened since 1989. Yes, he um, was in the other guys, and he was also he was awesome in the other. Like guys. he's multi- awesome in everything. Multiplicity or something. Yeah, that's way after 89 for sure. Yeah, good. He okay. was great in Multiplicity. I knew him before Batman was Mr. Mom. I don't know if you know Mr. Oh, Mom. Oh yeah, that was that clip of uh, how about a beer? And the butler's like, it's seven o'clock in the morning, and he's like, Scotch. Yeah. That's his. That's his wife. His his wife's boss swinging by the house. I think to pick up the wife. It's, it's just telling, <laughs> he's constantly trying to like justify drinking beer at nine a.m. or whatever. Yeah. So I knew him from Mr. Mom, which was great, and he's a great 
comedic actor. Uh, but I don't think that we knew in the 80s that he was such a great dramatic actor. And honestly, the Batman role is very, very tough to nail like that perfect. You don't want to be too Christian Bale, you know. Oh, my favorite. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We can get into that. So they, they went with they went with um, Michael Keaton and then the studios got thousands and thousands of letters about this is bullshit. Michael Keaton is Mr. Mom. He can't be Batman. And then they said, okay, everybody relax. We're going to release some trailers because this is before internet. So they said, well, we're just going to release trailers and then you guys are going to have to, you know, learn to live with it or whatever. Mm-hmm. They released trailers and the trailers were so, the trailers, never mind the movie, the trailers for the movie were so insanely popular. People were going to movies, watching the trailer, paying for the movie, and then leaving right after the trailer just to see the Batman trailer for 1999. Wow. Yeah, yeah, it was that big of a deal. So because the trailers, because the trailers were what they were, because Tim Burton is who he is and everything, people walked out of those trailers, just little brief trailers. They were like, yes, Michael Keaton, you're going to do a great job. So thank God for all that. Yeah, I still say Michael Keaton did did a great job. And also people forget Michael Keaton did a great job as the Vulture in the Spider-Man movies. So he's yeah. not he's not done. And then he's in he's in the newest uh, Flash movie. You know that uh, they does like time travel. Flash he's back. Gordon? He's back as Batman. No, the Flash. So I'm not I'm not gonna watch it. I'm not gonna watch anything with that that Flash guy in it. He's guys. You twisted. don't have to worry about me. <laughs> You're doing your part. You're <laughs> doing your part. Shutting shutting down uh, criminals, uh, child predators. One one uh, not going to comic book movie at a time. So. Um, from all the Batman movies and all the, the Batman, Sean Esquire and I forgot. I forgot about the newest guy, the kid. There have oh. been eight. There have been eight Batman, Sean Esquire. Yeah, the new ones. The uh, what's those moon movies? Full yep. moon, half moon, the, mo- the moon ones. I also moon. don't watch those. If those movies have any pedophiles in them, say for sure to everyone. I didn't watch any of those. I'm not contributing to those to those people to. Yeah. yeah, Rob Pattinson. That's it, Pat Pattinson. 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 Yeah. Yeah. He's a new See, Batman. He's the the year the year one Batman. I, I know. So the original Batman's what like you said with Michael Keaton when they wasn't like Danny DeVito the Penguin or something. He was in part two. So there's Batman, and then I think I think Batman Returns because the Christopher Nolan ones the. Um, American Psycho. Those are those are Dark Knight, Dark Knight, Dark Knight Rises. Those are my favorite. Yeah, yeah. You know, he really nailed it, and I hate to say that because he's not American, and I and I have this thing that I feel most of the time that an American actor should play an American comic book hero. Mm-hmm. You know, Bat- Batman's American, Superman's American. Like it should be Americans, but a lot of these uh, British guys and non-American guys are just getting the job done. Uh, yeah. I honestly. I didn't know that Christian Bale was not American until just a few years ago. I heard him on NPR in his not American accent. I was like, what? And then I was, just, <laughs> I was furious. That guy's that guy's Batman. He's Batman in like three movies. Yeah, I just I like the whole darkness of the Dark Knight series. Yeah. Christopher um, Nolan, amazing, amazing director. So we've got Adam West, who he deserves his place in in Batman for you know being first out of the gates and mm-hmm. bringing it from the page into into uh video life the uh the world that we live so 
yeah, he he definitely gets a place on the mantle. So then there's Michael Keaton, who we love. I think he did great. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it. Val Kilmer. Was Val Kilmer a good Batman? I think mm. Val Kilmer. He's, he's a great actor. I really I, liked him for I Batman in that movie. Yeah, just the one. Just the one movie. And then the love interest in that one. Do you remember that? Val Kilmer, Val Kilmer Batman was uh, Nicole Kidman. She was the oh, one. Okay. So uh, what's her name? Michelle Pfeiffer. Michelle yeah. Pfeiffer for the uh, love interest on Batman Returns because she's the uh, she's the cat lady. And Anne which, Hathaway was one of them too, right? So she's from the Dark Knight movies, from the Christopher Nolan movies. Okay. Yeah. Anne Hathaway does a pretty good job. I, I you know, I think she's uh, it's not a hundred percent believable as Catwoman, but she's pretty, not pretty good like job. a cat. And I, I just, I also just felt like they just kind of like shoehorned her in. They were like, oh, that's we're gonna need a Catwoman. I'm like, mm, do you? Okay. I mean, you guys have Bane, so uh, Clooney. Even Clooney knows. Clo- Clooney got stuck with like not a great movie like just the writing was all over the place i think this is um it's like early 90s like hollywood is just running on cocaine and they're like okay we're gonna do a movie and it's gonna be bad it's gonna be batman batman movie and then we're gonna get don't worry everybody don't worry don't worry about the writing we got arnold schwarzenegger is gonna be the bad guy so that alone is gonna like you know 400 million right there don't worry about actual (laughs) talented writing so um, I think George Clooney got the short end of the stick with uh, all. And then plus he had the outfit. Everybody, everybody, I told you, man, uh, comic book nerds really, really obsess over details. So Clooney's famous Batman suit uh, had nipples. Oh, I don't know if you know that. I that whole, didn't. But if I watch whole, it, I'll keep an eye out. That whole conversation. Yeah. Val Kilmer's Batman suit was apparently like 95% rubber like this hard thick rubber he had problems moving in it i think michael keaton had the same problem uh it definitely wasn't particularly uh buoyant so there's like a scene where val Kilmer has to jump into a, a lake or something and he's got the batman garb on so uh val Kilmer, i think did the best job he could clooney is a great actor he just got stuck with a not a great script and they you know they just kept squeezing things into the clooney they were like, "Oh, let's let's get a Robin. Let's get a Robin in there. Oh, let's get a uh, let's get a Bat Girl in there, also, huh? There you go, and they'll roll into battle. Like, all right, all right, that's enough. Yeah, um, because they had Joker, and they had those, but man, really, until the Dark Knight, like the Joker had its own movie after that. Yeah, again, at a certain point, you just feel like, okay, they're really trying to milk this cash cow. Uh, mm-hmm. It's like, oh, this this one needs a movie, and this guy needs a movie, and Chewbacca needs his own movie, and Joker needs his own movie, and uh, I, didn't, Joker... I didn't see the new one with the Rob Pattinson guy. Did you see uh, the Batman, the new Batman, the, the new new, new new Batman? I've tried to watch it once or twice. Uh, I fell asleep both times, but I, I put it on at the end of the day. You know, I'm kind of mm-hmm. winding down, so it's not there. Fight. I heard it's. I heard it's great. I just don't know about the whole like. Um, you know, it's like first year batman that's mm-hmm. what that's what they're, they're doing for him he's like a kid and uh, he he keeps like a journal or a diary like 
today as Batman, I I got a kitten out of a tree. I don't know. <laughs> I saw him writing in his Batman journal, and I was like, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna crash out here. Um, but from what I've seen, looks good. People love it. Uh, I I'm gonna land on Christian Bale as the Batman, and yeah. that might be controversial, but I just think he really got it done. He definitely he got in great shape. And also, I don't want to take away Ben Affleck. Ben Affleck did a great job. People were very mad about Ben Affleck's Batman. Um, he did good. He did a good job. But I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Christian Bale as as the Batman. They're all good in their own way. Um, unfortunately, like I said, Clooney <laughs> Clooney got the short end of the stick out of all the Batmans. I think. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Definitely Christian Bale. And what's the most successful Batman movie since we had a Michael Keaton movie and a Clooney movie and everyone? What's I'm going to say the Dark Knight's got to be mm-hmm. number one. Yeah, Dark Knight, uh, 533 million plus. Dark Knight Returns, 448 million plus. And then uh, The Batman, which is the newest one, 369, 369 million plus. The actual Batman with Michael Keaton is like number five, two hundred and fifty-one million. I have to wonder though that that's that's got to be like uh, 1989, 1990, 250 million. So that's their like dollars, or yeah, they were probably five, like five bucks to go to the movie, and now it's like five hundred million now. Yeah, two fifty million in nineteen ninety is around five hundred million now. So yeah, some someone's gonna have to do the uh, do the adjust for inflation, whatever, but. All great Batman, very hard to choose. And um, Christopher Nolan's one of the best directors ever in the history of directors. And Christian Bale is just a fantastic actor. So between those two, that's what I'm going to land on. I might be controversial. Send us your hate mail. We'll uh, we'll live with it. Yes. All right, what you got next? For this week in history, I have Roswell. This is 1947. So... This week of history is, is from the uh, from the report from the Air Force, June 24, 1997. Uh, I'm going to jump around a little bit here. So back in the summer of 1947, late June, there was a 48-year-old rancher. People always say Roswell. It actually wasn't Roswell. It's like 80 miles. His, his ranch is like 80 miles, 80-something miles outside of Roswell. So right Roswell out of Roswell was just like the closest big... City, yeah. No, I grew up in a yeah. I grew up in a small, small town, and so we just said the town next door because that one was Mm -hmm. that that one actually had twelve ten thousand people, so we went with that. Uh, So uh, summer of uh, summer forty seven, I think late June, forty eight year old Mac. He went by uh, I think his his initials were WW something, but he went by Mac Mac Brazel. He finds all this debris out in his ranch area and he's like, oh, look at that. He doesn't really think anything of it. He goes back to his life. And then over the course of a week or so, some of the locals are making reports about flying saucers. And I think one of his family members had mentioned to it. And then he just kind of thought offhand, well, maybe I should go check out that debris I found a week or so ago. And he goes out there and then he collects it, sits on it for a couple of days, brings it into town. On uh, July the 7th, he takes it to the local sheriff. He says, uh, hey, check it out. Look, I uh, found all this weird metal stuff. One of the big things on the early reports was that the metal had these um, like hieroglyphics on it, you Ooh. know, because they, they changed their story very quickly. Like, so what are the weird designs? This is like alien handwriting or alien 
font on this uh, on this you know alien material that they found right out of the gates intelligence officer jesse marcel on july the 8th announces via the roswell daily uh record hey the united states government we uh we found a flying saucer flying saucer debris i don't know how this guy kept his job or exactly you know what transpired so the big the big picture is that flash forward to june 24 1997 why did it take that long uh june 24 1997 united states government they released their uh the roswell report colon case closed so this is they wait that long to put the nails in the coffin of the roswell story and the way it kind of all shakes down is there was project mogul back then and these were balloons these were balloons that were basically they had very sensitive uh sound equipment on them like sound uh, microphones on them detectors on them to try to detect any kind of uh, nuclear weapons going off you know like the russians are going to be trying to detonate nukes in the ocean and the u.s is going to know about it things like that so intelligence officer jesse marcel he makes this press release on july the 8th 1947 about like oh we got it we got uh we got flying saucer stuff the very next day the military changed story and said oh it's a weather balloon <laughs> so they didn't, they didn't want... not much of an intelligence officer if you don't know the difference between uh between uh weather balloon and and uh flying saucers <laughs> there we go god there it is the squeaker there he is he gets so mad when i get out microphones and podcast stuff so then on oh we're not doing squeaker today come on <laughs> there was reports of alien bodies and those reports were from uh from dummy mannequins that they had been doing uh, paratroopers and it, and this is not all from the same day this is you know over the course of weeks in the beginning it was like oh we found flying saucer material and then a couple of weeks later people were like oh we found these uh, alien bodies because the military this is not you know this is only a couple years after we dropped the nukes on um hiroshima and nagasaki so the air force is still doing stuff they're out in the middle of nowhere out in the middle of no like nowhere in new mexico they're launching weather balloons. I say weather balloons. They're launching spy balloons. They're launching this. They're doing all these like government tests. And they just assume that the public's going to be like, oh, there's a mannequin. No big deal. And so the public has UFO fever. And so the public's like, oh, that that's an alien. That's an alien. So, um, yeah, I don't think it was beneficial, number one, to have an intelligence officer release a press report saying, hey, we've got alien. We've got a, we have a flying saucer, I think was his actual quote. And then I don't think it was very helpful for the United States Air Force to wait until 1997 to say, oh, yeah, 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 this is a project mogul and it's uh, it's not not a big deal. And then they have all these other weird things like on on project mogul that they had um, that they had used some tape from a from a kid's uh, like kids toys to to like literally put these things together. I'm going to I'm going to play a clip here and try to drag out drown out my dogs playing stop it of uh this is from this is a great website this is called today i found out and so he's reporting on on you know why were there hieroglyphics on this from the roswell crash of 1947. 
Allow these balloons to be tracked, NYU researchers fitted them with a chain of kite-shaped radar reflectors consisting of lightweight balsa wood frames covered in metal foil. According to Charles B. Moore, a General Mills engineer attached to Project Mogul, the foil was fixed to the frames using metallic tape purchased from a New York City toy factory. This tape was stamped with decorative patterns including hearts and flowers intended to appeal to children, and it was these figures which ufologists later mistook for alien hieroglyphics. Okay, so there's the great mystery, supposedly, of the alien hieroglyphics that were on the uh, alien parts found out on the Roswell Ranch, way outside of Roswell. So, uh, again, you know, how much of the official story do I believe versus how much do I think is something else going on? Probably Project Mogul, these balloon things that was high tech, but don't have your intelligence officer... uh, give a press release that they found a flying saucer and then don't wait until 1997 to clear it up either. Right. That's my take on it. Sounds a little fishy. Uh, for the record, I do believe in aliens a hundred percent. I am not convinced that they've made it to earth. And, uh, I'm also worried, you know, we've talked about this many times. Um, I'm, I'm worried about space force on a regular basis because Trump laid out, Space Force, and he got the funding for it and everything. And I, as far as I know, there's not a single Democrat that has spoken up and said, hey, we need to get rid of Space Force. It's it's not cheap. It's not, I don't know if you know this or not. It's not cheap to uh, to patrol space. And so just <laughs> to put military in space, I haven't heard uh, any, any Democrats that I know of that have spoken up and said, we need to get rid of Space Force. It's BS. So the fact that, that Trump laid the groundwork for Space Force, that he did the rollout for Space Force, and a lot of people hate Trump. <laughs> they just can't stand the guy. Uh, and the fact that no one of real um, notoriety is speaking out against it. In fact, it's still getting funding. That makes me think that there's a legitimate threat coming from space. Statistically speaking, probably an asteroid. We've had five major uh, end of Earth events that we know of. And so I, th- I think at least four of those are um earth killing asteroids so that's probably what they're doing but that being said who knows there's plenty of reports from nasa there's plenty of reports from you know what gets me is the reports from other air forces like the canadian air force the israel air force uh, mexican air force there's been a number of air forces around the world that have commented on um unidentified flying objects coming in doing these 90 degree turns all these things that uh that our most advanced jets can't do now and them saying, "Well, it's got to be something otherworldly." Maybe I'm not. I'm not saying no. Yeah. Yeah, and I grew up watching X Files and everything like that. So there's a, it's a large part of me that's like, so there. I mean, universe-wise, there's definitely intelligent life out there somewhere. I don't think that we're we're the pinnacle of the entire universe by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know if they've made it all the way out here. Maybe it's possible. Yeah. So, okay. But I if think... you're in, if you're into government reports, 1997, the name of the report is the Roswell Report: colon, Case Closed. So the government was like, <laughs> "We're tired." Yeah, they only waited until 97 for that. That was nice of them. Well, I guess that covers this week in history. Um, I'm just going to touch on a current event real quick, and I know this is going to be coming out a couple weeks late, but it's still relevant. So in the Ukraine, there was obviously fighting uh, with 
a Russian mercenary group, uh, the Wagner Group, that is basically a private army funded by Russia because uh, they don't have their own military to fund. They wanted a secondary army. I, I guess the U.S. kind of does that too. We've got what Blackwater or these like State Department mercenaries. Right. They have they have go arounds for the U.S. because the U.S. actually cares about things like the Geneva, Geneva Convention and things like and and PR. Right. Things like that for the most part. Uh, so I don't understand Russia's need for a uh, for a black ops team uh, for a private privatized black ops team when Russia kind of just openly does black ops stuff like invade Ukraine. Yeah. Things like that. I, I don't know either. I think part of it's probably just additional manpower to help fight because I think they had like 25,000 troops within the Wagner group. But uh, this weekend, as of when this was recording, uh, the Wagner boss, uh, Progrosin, and I'm sure I'm butchering his name. It's a fun word to say. He got upset because some of his troops were bombed or a missile was fired at them by Russia and killed a bunch of his guys. And he said, oh, and let me back up. A couple weeks prior to this, he had sent out a message basically upset that they hadn't gotten funding, hadn't gotten ammunition, all this stuff that was promised to them to continue fighting in Bakhmut. And then when his troops got bombed, he was like, all right, that's it. We're going to Moscow and we're going to take out the uh, ministry you know, minister of defense for Russia. So they turned around, they start marching towards Moscow and then they shot down a helicopter, blew up some oil uh, refinery place, and then got the call, I guess, from the president of Belarus. Belarus. And he said that he had negotiated out a deal that Wagner was not going to continue his march to Moscow, and they were going to give him safe passage to Belarus. Right. He could just hide out in Belarus. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many question marks on that story, especially since it number one it involves Russia, number two it involves Russian mercenaries. With like, they're not just regular mercenaries. This guy is he has something like twenty thousand, twenty five thousand people mm -hmm. under his uh, under his rank or answering to him by and large, and he's probably not enlisting, uh, you know, just all the prim and proper former military people, you know, you, you're running mercenaries. You want some guys that, uh, that have questionable backgrounds. Ex-cons. Ex-cons. Yeah. Well, you know, like ex-military cons on top of that, you get these yeah. guys in the military that imagine getting thrown out of the Russian military for something like, Oh, he's, um, he's too brutal, this guy. <laughs> and then they, they scoop him up in the black ops for, uh, for Russian black ops for Russian uh, mercenaries. So yeah, I don't know why Russia needs these guys to begin with, why do they need a separate group? Because obviously they're not concerned about PR. They're not concerned about violating Geneva convention. I don't know that guy's backstory at all per Juvagin, per Juvakach. That's it. Nailed it. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. I don't know his story. And I feel my, just like my gut, my gut tells me that this is a lot of information, disinformation, like smoke and mirrors kind of thing. Yeah. Well, apparently he's not there fighting now. 
So So he's still he's still hiding out in Belarus. Like they they don't have a they don't have a beat on this guy. They don't know where he is. That's supposedly where he's at. Um somebody's got to be uh leading his troops he's got 20,000 25,000 people that answer to him apparently all... troops were told they could go with him to Belarus or join the Russian military to continue the fight in Ukraine oh wow that's a that's a heck of a heck of a decision I also feel like that's a test like the the centralized Russian government is saying hey you guys can go with this guy who was he was gonna stage a coup you can go with him and it's right. cool and it's fine we won't be mad or you can come fight in Ukraine. And then so some some of the guys stayed with him and they're going to end up all like getting hung up in the streets eventually. Like Putin, yeah. Putin does not forget. I, I can't imagine that Putin's okay with all of this. So again, I don't know how much of this story is true, how much of it is BS. And uh, I know that we had been joking. I was like texting Sean Esquire at like two in the morning ago. Finally, we landed on, I bet that guy just got really drunk. You know, some Russians, <laughs> some Russians will do that. This guy is, you know, military badass. He's a mercenary. He uh, he got a uh, he, he overdid it a little bit. Maybe he was podcasting with his friends. He got a little shit face. <laughs> Too much vodka. And, and then he was like, "Let's let's go. Let's invade Moscow. Military <laughs> military coup." And his troops were like, "Oh man, every time this guy gets too shit faced, we got to do a coup on <laughs> Moscow." And then so they're just trying to divert him from his from his drunken mission. He's like, we're going to do it. Fire up, fire up the tanks. <laughs> and, and they're just like, hey, let's uh, maybe uh, let's get some Taco Bell on our way to uh, the military. coup." He's like, yeah, Taco Bell, it's a little bit of Taco Bell. He goes down like a sack of bricks and then he wakes up. He's like, oh, man, pretty shit faced. Uh, I tried. Did I try to do a coup again, guys? Did I do? Oh man! Every time I get a little, got a little bit of peppermint schnapps in me, and uh, I go, I go right to military coup. That's what I land on after some, after some schnapps. Um, I guess we can cover this briefly too. You have something listed in conspiracy theories. This is going back to we covered last week was Watergate. Um. The purpose of the Watergate break-in, Ida Maxine Wells. The, the do we do, do we get into all of that? Yeah. So I thought that we. I apologize if we touched on this on last episode, and that we're doubling back on this episode. But there have been lawsuits regarding uh, G. Gordon Liddy's claim. Also, if you haven't figured this out by now, out of all the Watergate stuff, probably G. Gordon Liddy is my favorite because he's kind of a maniac. Mm-hmm. And uh, he had told, I think he told uh, his his partner's kids. He was like, "Hey, you have a fear of public speaking or whatever." He's like, "You know, I was scared of rats when I was a kid, and then I, I caught one and I ate it, and now I'm not scared of rats anymore." And they're <laughs> like, "That's a cool story, man. Get away from me. It's really, <laughs> it's really, really weird." So, one of the conspiracies on Watergate, there's a number of them, is that the you know. We keep harping on that. I don't know. I don't believe the official story because they broke in it like three times. And the third time they got caught, these guys are supposed to be FBI, CIA, like these super badass, super spies. And they can't even break into the DNC, the DNC headquarters. So apparently 
there was rumors about, you know, there was this uh, ring of call girls and they knew a bunch of stuff about the DNC and it was all going to come out. And then one of the call girls was connected to the head of the DNC, the head of the Democratic Party that I think his either his wife or fiance that she used to be part of that group. And so that's one of the lawsuits that had that had come down from many, many years later that the official story is not the real story. So. We don't know. We may not know, but uh, I will do some some more uh, legwork on the conspiracies of Watergate because it's interesting. I don't know how much it's true, and and I just don't believe the official story. I think it's BS. All right. So, yeah, we'll, we'll plenty of time for us to tackle that in the future. On that note, do you have anything else, Doctor Blom? I don't have anything else from my end. Uh, we are in summer and Sean Esquire and I are bouncing around between vacations. This episode is going to get uh, released late. Uh, we usually like to record plug and chug. And so um, not uh, not much on that end. And then what you watching, I got to give a shout out what you're watching right now. Gemstones season three. Oh, yeah. We're on season three right now might be the funniest thing on tv right now really great writing and uh, obviously all the actors are amazing um when a show hits season three it's kind of like make or break you know the like mm-hmm. the rhythm but everything i've seen season three so far hilarious really great strongly recommend if you're if you're like me the end of the day you don't want a big drama you know it takes uh, it takes a lot for me to get sucked into a drama i don't have the energy i'm not smart enough for the dramas i just want to do a little haha and then eat my ice cream and go to bed so um for guys like me season three uh or the newest season i think season three season three yeah, gemstone season three. crushing it really really hilarious just great all around so highly highly recommend uh on that end and sean and esquire and i will be he's going on vacation and then i'm going on vacation and then he might do another vacation so just bear with us through the summer summer months are going to be uh, a little slower on on podcast than uh than the on season we're kind of an off season right now just bear with us i promise you we're going to knock it out we're going to be covering all the important news all the history things that we uh that we love and uh need to share and everything in between all right on that we'll see you next week great to see you sean esquire thank you everyone for tuning in and we will talk to you again soon thank you everyone have a great summer thank you for listening